Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Geopolitical Pivot. My name is Samaj McDowell, your host as always, and I'm hoping everyone is able to stay safe, peaceful, having a good time. Hope everyone who do celebrate Thanksgiving had an amazing Thanksgiving. And, you know, 2020 is coming to an end, um, hopefully. Um, hopefully it doesn't turn to December 32nd, 2020, but, you know, we just go with the flow. So, as promised, I am going to do a, I gotta say, a country profile, slight country profile. Um, since yesterday, I began a new series called the Global Terrorism Index. And one of the things that I said that I wanted to do was to do country profiles on 10, or it was 11, of the main countries that have demonstrated significant or continual problems with terrorism and terror-related activities and incidents, including deaths and casualties. And the first one I wanted to look at was the notorious Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. Uh, you know, Afghanistan has always been uh, you know, in the news and it's been rather a problem regarding terrorism as well as overall uh, U.S. national interests. Even prior to the United States, it wasn't just the United States that has had a problem with Afghanistan. So this episode really probably won't be that long. I won't get too in-depth as far as, you know, fun fact jargon of Afghanistan. I wanted to go over some of the basics, especially its location and why its location is very important. Um, that's, that's something that should be highlighted, especially when we're talking about how in the 21st century, uh, power, great power politics, or just political power uh, within the international system, is not necessarily demonstrated anymore by how much territory that you possess, let alone conventional military prowess, but more so the domination in geoeconomics and how you can utilize economic power and finite resources in finite territorial locations. Uh, to your best advantage within a rules-based international system. What we're saying the rise of China after the end of the early 2000s and then starting off in 2010 and 2020 is the establishment of a bipolar political international establishment system between the United States and China as well as um, within that bipolar political system we have a growing multipolar economic system um, that's becoming much more regional based away from the dominant North Atlantic towards the, the Far East, Western Asian Pacific, the Indian Ocean, the South Atlantic, uh, as well as the Northern Indian Ocean towards the, the Persian Gulf uh, area. So I think what's important that we should do is kind of talk about uh, a little bit about the, the country of Afghanistan. I know I also said that I was going to do a podcast episode talking about the Taliban. However, my my research isn't fully completed yet regarding what, all that I want to talk about with the Taliban. So the Taliban um, po uh, was a podcast is going to come tomorrow. And then the, the Afghanistan country profile will come today. Uh, so, with, with that being said, we're going to begin our, our conversation. So, the, the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan is primarily, it's a landlocked country. Um, it's, depending on who you ask and how they 
determine what country is part of what geographic location. Some people like to proclaim that uh, try to incorporate Afghanistan into Central Asia uh, with the other Stans minus uh, Pakistan. So the other Stans that I'm referring to is Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Uz I think I said Uzbek and Uzbekistan. And then if you include uh, Afghanistan with that, then there would be six Central Asian countries. Um, however, simultaneously, some people like to include Afghanistan in South Asia with India and Pakistan. Uh, for the most part, Afghanistan is also connected to what's called the Great Amina region. Amina being an acronym for Middle East, North Africa. Uh which for you know for historical reasons it's based off of their cultural traditionalist islamic um, alignments being part of the islamic world um and that goes back to you know the Mughals, uh, which was based in kabul um and but also the expansion of islam through iran um, at the time and, and then also through the silk road so Afghanistan, a lot of people think that it's not really important. It's actually pretty important uh, when we're talking about economics and infrastructure um, interconnection for the region. Um, Afghanistan, it borders, it is bordered, I should say, by Iran to the west, Pakistan in the south and the east and southeast, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Tajikistan in the north, and then China in the far northeast through the Hindu Kush mountains. Um, Afghanistan has been very, very, very important, primarily dating back to the, the original, the ancient Silk Road, um, as well as migration, uh, due to just the sheer capabilities of being able to transport things such as silk and other forms of luxury goods and products from China through its western provinces through Central Asia through Afghanistan and then through that time to Persia in order to get then through um, the Middle East to the Roman Empire. Um, Afghanistan in itself its current borders is actually the byproduct of the the great games that was done primarily between Great Britain and the Russian Empire uh, when they were trying to determine the boundaries regarding imperial power zones uh, as a way to, I guess, um, avoid any type of conventional military confrontations in a very strategic and very lucrative part of the world called Eurasia. Uh, at this at the same time, um, Afghanistan, from a uh, drug trafficking point of view, 90% of the world's heroin um, is produced from Afghan uh, opium. So that's that also is going to get into the notions of um, the Taliban and their financing, since it also comes through drug smuggling from Afghanistan. Uh, the current notions of the modern state of Afghanistan, actually, it, it comes from the the Durrani Empire that was formed in 1747 by Ahmad Shah Durrani. That's where most of this modern-day Afghanistan and Afghan nationalists um, tend to reclaim that the modern identity of Afghanistan comes from the Durrani Empire. Uh, however, what's also that has to be taken into consideration um, that will also come into play when we talk about the Taliban 
is that it's dominant ethnic identities, Pashtun. And because that is um, a major factor in Afghanistan, it also gives an understanding of why why there's such uh, instability and who is provoking that instability. As the Pashtuns are not just in Afghanistan, they're also directly across the border in Pakistan, who's also a known financer of state-sponsored terrorism. That's not done unintentionally. It's done by intentional policy and design, um, especially after the collapse of the British Raj. And so Afghanistan is very important because it's no, it's positioned in a logistical hub location, not just for goods and services, primarily from the, to and from the Indian markets, uh, if Pakistan were to have been cooperative or to be cooperative, but also Afghanistan finds itself in a position to be very lucrative for the transportation of energy resources, uh, energy resources primarily from uh, Central Asia, uh, Turkmenistan, for example. Afghanistan also, a lot of people don't know this, but Afghanistan has approximately, approximately, can't talk today, uh, between one to three trillion dollars in untapped uh, mineral resources, possessing over 1,400 mineral fields. So you're thinking, well, why isn't Afghanistan so, so rich? Why are they able to tap into these mineral resources, these mining fields, establish the infrastructure in order to acquire these resources, exploit the resources, process the resources, and then export them. Well, that comes from, domestically speaking, with Afghanistan, the the tribal traditionalist uh, powers that be both religious and tribal elders have much more substantial influences on political institutions than the actual government in Kabul. Because of that, Afghanistan has very weak uh, political institutions. They're very vulnerable to the traditional, uh, the traditionalist powers that be within the country of, of Afghanistan. Because of this, they lack the infrastructure. They lack the, the political power, they lack the economic leverage to really exploit those uh, those massive deposits of mineral wealth. Therefore, they are very dependent on the importation of foreign investment and foreign humanitarian uh, organizations and non-government organizations to come in to try to provide relief and aid to, to Afghans. The other problem is that you have an ongoing insurgency by the Taliban after being ousted from power in October 2001 um, that's now being based in Pakistan to increase the the risk of ongoing uh, a war of attrition with the United States and U.S.-led NATO allies to remove the United States military from Afghanistan so that the Taliban can come back in, reclaim Kabul, and establish a true Islamic as they attempted, attempted to do in the 1990s up until 2001, um, after the, especially after the collapse of the Soviet Union um, and the the leaving of the Soviet Union in 1989. Um, another thing that has to touch about with Afghanistan is that because of the notions of heightened prestige to the 
the tribal leaders, the tribal elders, there's not much of a a rush to embrace the notions of modernity, of, of development. And similarly because for a lot of them, especially for religious tribal leaders that are connected to the Taliban, a lot of that are representations of the West, especially when it comes to the uplifting or the elevation of the status of women. Uh, but that's getting into, into the the nitty gritty. Um, so we're going to kind of backpack a backpedal a little bit and talking about why Afghanistan is important for not just Central Asia, but also South Asia, also for Western Asia, which is also known as Iran, as well as, uh, as China. So, and as well as the United States, because Afghanistan, believe it or not, is very important to the United States. Um, in terms of, of energy interconnectivity. So with the dissolution of the Soviet Union, uh, we're going to start with the United States, they saw a major opportunity to establish a Central Asia that was much more prone to the West um, by providing the technological wherewithal, infrastructure investments, infrastructure development assistance on the promotion of good governance and, uh, de and liberalization and decentralization of liberal policies within Central Asia. Um, as a means to sort of check the the presence of Russia, which was eventually become a problem um, in the 2000s uh, after uh, Vladimir Putin uh, became president. So with uh, the with Central Asia, the main responsibility not, not even the main responsibility, but also the main goal for the United States with Central Asia through Afghanistan is to find a way to construct and extend infrastructure to connect Central Asia states uh, through Pakistan to India as well as vice versa. Get India connected to Central Asia. Steer Central Asia westward through Afghanistan. Afghanistan in the eyes of U.S. policy is not economically viable solely without enhancing regional interconnectivity. This is why even you know the Chinese think think of it this way as well as the United States, where they say that Afghanistan is the heart of of Central Asia. So, the idea of improving regional connectivity and infrastructure within Central Asia now runs through the prioritizing of domestic internal stability of Afghanistan. We can do that if we have a continual insurgency uh, within the country. We can't do that if political corruption is too rampant that nothing can get done and foreign investors are hesitant in providing money to the government um, to be utilized for social programs. So for the United States, there was a an inspiration uh, to establish, I guess, a, a series of networks of logistical routes to connect Afghanistan uh, to Central Asia. And through these, these logistical routes, there's been over 40 different U.S.-sponsored uh, projects, major infrastructure projects, to try to connect Afghanistan to Central Asia. So some of these were the, there's a, a passage from Afghanistan through Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, 
Then there's another one through Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan to go into Russia and then to let out into Latvia. Then there's another one that'll pass through Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, then across the Caspian Sea to Azerbaijan and Georgia. That's primarily for energy resources like natural gas, which Afghanistan is ranked 67, um, no, 62nd in the world, um, having over a trillion cubic feet of natural gas um, and billions of of oil when the daily consumption of oil in Afghanistan is only around 5,500 uh, barrels of oil. So a substantial amount of energy resources that are that are in Afghanistan um, that can be exported, but it's very difficult for Afghanistan to get to those resources because of the insurgency, um, but also the the lack of capital to mobilize or at least form a, a working class in Afghanistan to get these resources and expand them outwards. Therefore, Afghanistan is pitched as a logistical hub to motion or transport Central Asian natural gas resources or energy resources overall through Afghanistan, through Pakistan, and to India to utilize the Indian Ocean to then export and become part of the global economy. And that's what the the United States. So the two main projects for this, as to kind of reaffirm that, is the Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, or TAPI, TAPI um, gas pipeline to transport Turkmen natural gas to Indian markets. This was happening around the time that um, the Taliban in the 1990s, um, where the Taliban was seen as essentially the the organization that was most prone to take over Afghanistan. Um, during the power vacuum after the Soviets had left, which turned out to be true. Uh, but the main problem is was that we just didn't know how the Taliban was going to, to govern Afghanistan. Well, Afghan Taliban officials were brought to California to meet with uh, these um, gas companies, Unicorn, um, that wanted to essentially finance and participate and help construct and contribute to the development of this pipeline to go from Turkmenistan through Afghanistan through Pakistan to get into the Indian markets. Well, when the Taliban leaders got to the United States, um, they showed them around some of the energy facilities to show them the type of pipelines and technology that was going to be utilized. And at the same time, we were hearing a lot of uh, reports about what some of the things that the Taliban was doing, especially in the areas that they were controlling. Um, the Taliban um, essentially, the, the project wound up not really going through um, because of once the Taliban took over, the sheer human rights abuses, especially towards women, um, and the, the regression of human rights and liberties and freedoms. Um, that the Taliban was implementing once they had proclaimed an Islamic immigrant of, of Afghanistan. Uh, the the whole ordeal was called off. However, uh, the Taliban sought to negotiate personally with Turkmenistan and Pakistan uh, rather than incorporate the United States. Um, at the time that the Taliban took over in Afghanistan, they controlled about 90% of the country. Um, so first, their, their capital was then implemented in Kandahar after they took over Kabul. So that was with the United States, with Iran. Iran always has viewed Afghanistan from historical reasons, cultural reasons, religious reasons as their backyard, which is why there's been some instances of Iran 
um, assisting and supporting the Taliban, uh, especially during the, the Afghan-Soviet War, um, and then post the leaving of the Soviet Union and trying to fill in the power vacuum to establish another friendly Islamic um, country, but also as a way to further expand Iranians act direct access to the Central Asian countries who are all Islamic um, by the way um, they're every last one of them primarily is Islamic but it's interesting enough that all of the Central Asian republics they're led by individuals that were formerly part of the the Soviet Union's communistic party within those five uh, Central Asian Soviet republics who then turned quote-unquote nationalists and embraced um, Islam um, to essentially write their country's history starting in the early 1990s. And the same goes for Pakistan as far as wanting the a friendly uh, government in Kabul, but it's for a much more different reason other than not just trying to have an Islamic friendly government in Kabul, as well as direct access to Central Asia. It also includes the fact that Pakistan fears an entanglement or encirclement from India since Kabul and Delhi always have had historically very good relationships. And so, especially after the dissolution of the British Raj, the, Afghanistan voted against incorporation of Pakistan into the United Nations simply because that they did not approve of the Duran line, let alone they didn't really approve of the post-British Raj borders, simply because the the the, pot, the lands of the, the Pashtuns is directly cut in half from the Afghan-Pakistani border. Um, so that's something that constantly is something uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan squabble over. There has been border uh, clashes and skirmishes um, along their border, but that's not the main reason why Pakistan wants um, Afghanistan into their sphere. Essentially, Afghanistan. Um, before Pakistan, Afghanistan is essentially a fallback plan within their defense strategy. So in the advent of direct military confrontation with India, they could essentially utilize a friendly Kabul regime to reinforce their lines um, if they have to retreat or allow for the military to operate out of Afghanistan um, to enhance their positionings if it came to that. Um, for for Pakistanis, the Taliban is a very useful tool for asymmetric warfare, uh, and that stems from from the 1980s, the early 1980s, the early mid 1980s. Uh, the United States wanted to remain covert in their operations in Afghanistan against the Soviet Union. So what they did was they utilized the Pakistani government's dictatorship at that time under Mohammed Zia Haq, and under Mohammed Zaya, he essentially made a deal with the United States that, well, if you want to stay covert, it's perfectly fine. However, if you are going to support anybody, any organization, any proxy within Afghanistan, it has to be through Pakistan. And I determine who gets what American supplies, uh, who gets financed, who gets trained. So because of that, Pakistan was able to leverage itself as the ultimate middleman mm -hmm. to achieve some sort of major influence in Afghanistan as well as which proxies essentially was successful. And that included the Taliban. And, so, and then after the invasion 
of Iraq in October 2001 by the United States, the, the Taliban, once they were deposed, they went to Pakistan, especially primarily in the Pashtun lands of, of Pakistan, which is directly right on the border, and then implemented an insurgency, a vast insurgency across the border um, to bog down the United States in a war of attrition. It's not always, it wasn't just against the United States, it's also indirectly, as well as directly against India. Uh, it's though that, you know, Pakistan's uh, intelligence organizations have trained uh, jihadis, um, especially Taliban insurgents, uh, and either sent them back into Afghanistan or have allowed passage into India. To, uh, to conduct terrorism, uh, to bog down the Indians um, as, a, as a means of asymmetric warfare, utilizing state-sponsored terrorism to essentially enhance the military defense capabilities of Islamabad um, against a superior a military um, of India. So Pakistan has a viable security defense uh, interest in Afghanistan that it seeks to achieve. The more that Afghanistan can remain either destabilized or to establish a government as pro-Pakistani uh, in Kabul, the better it is for Islamabad to reposition itself, not just against India, but also to gain access into Central Asia. Uh, if that was the case, then Pakistan could essentially establish uh, some sort of gas pipelines between Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, and Pakistan, cutting out the... cutting out the India and to implement um, gas pipeline access to the Persian Gulf. One moment. Alrighty. Uh, so, sorry about that. I, my food just got here. So, one thing that they could tell you what I was talking about um, with Pakistan is that with the utilizing of terrorism for Let's say a unconventional arm to the Pakistani intelligence agency and their conventional forces. They're able to balance out Indian military, these tactical supremacy, um, and to utilize notions of surprise or psychological warfare that comes with terrorism. Um, that in itself does make Pakistan a formidable power, at least a regional influence on the rather unconventional scale. So while we have Pakistan, we're also looking at, well, the significance of India. India in relation to Pakistan has much more larger economic output, economic capital, much more better, much better international standing, um, much more larger markets. And it also do have a reason to seek not just a physical containment of Pakistan with Afghanistan, but also they see the, the untapped natural resources in Afghanistan as prime real estate. So uh, India may, you know, not just may, but they have done so, provide millions of dollars, millions of hundreds of dollars, I should say, or well, hundreds of millions of dollars. Jeez, I can't speak today. <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars in infrastructure development um, as a means to essentially coerce Kabul to remain much more pro-Indian in their economic approach. Um, India's main problem is that, well, since they be, they don't border Afghanistan, and since Afghanistan does not have a coastline, 
they have to essentially depend to an extent on agreements with Pakistan to allow goods and services to uh, to travel between Afghanistan and India. Uh, because of that, India has a prime interest, not just from a counterterrorism point of view, um, an economic point of view, but also a political, a geostrategic point of view, of wanting to ensure a very peaceful and doesn't even have to necessarily be openly pro-India, but a very cooperative government in Afghanistan that understands and supports uh, Indian national interests. Especially now we're getting into the third tier, which is China. China is very rather pessimistic um, about stability within Afghanistan, seeing as how they have observed what happened when Great Britain um, attempted to subjugate the Afghans through three Anglo-Afghan wars. Uh, what happened after the Soviet Union sought to establish uh, regime control within Afghanistan, um, which, by the way, the United States thought was the Soviets uh, repositioning themselves within Eurasia to then eventually take Pakistan to get access to not just the Indian Ocean, but then also the the Strait of Hormuz, uh, the Persian Gulf, which is directly right there um, to the west of Gwadarpur, uh, the very strategic Gwadarpur uh, port in Pakistan. Um, but then also China has, after the Soviet Union, they've saw the bogging down of the United States, which China has very much benefited from, where they can pay their attention, more of their attention to their own developments while observing the trends that are going on in Afghanistan. The main problem with well, for China in regards to Afghanistan is Islamic terrorism, so they say, um, especially with Islamic uh, movements, um, both peaceful and militant in the Xinjiang, uh, Western province, which is very critical for China because it's one of the areas where uh, their main deposits of energy resources are located and it is the main source for transportation networks for their uh, Belt and Road Initiative to enter Central Asia, uh, Russia, and Europe. Uh, so for China, although they're very hesitant of getting further involved in Afghanistan by observing history, they understand that it's a very imp it's very important for their their Belt and Road Initiative um, to reestablish a Silk Road through Central Asia through Afghanistan um, to expand their their trade routes and infrastructure rec um, infrastructure networks, especially for transportation. Um, and uh, through in Pakistan and Afghanistan and to Iran, uh, then to the Middle East, hopefully through Iraq, Syria, and then to the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, for China, it's important because then it allows them to decrease their dependency to, in the, to a degree, a very minimal degree, of the, the Malacca Strait. Uh, for the Chinese, they have something called the, the Malacca Dilemma, which is their fear that in the advent of a confrontational war with the United States, the United States could reposition their naval uh, vessels and assets to cut off a very lucrative uh, energy trading or cargo ships, uh, primarily with LNG uh, and, and oil that traverses through the, the Strait of Malacca and the, the South China Sea to get to the Chinese um, oil refineries and terminals um, on their on their coastlines. So that's one reason why um, China is also looking towards Central Asia, including Afghanistan. Uh, so the the gist of this is that. 
as we're kind of looking at the position of Afghanistan, we can come to the understanding that when the uses of a particular territory increases, the, it, the strategic weight of the area also increases, which is why terrorism, especially in Afghanistan, is a very big deal. Um, in this new Chinese-U.S. great game, the focus is not really on the territorial control of the country, this being Afghanistan, or full uh, control on key strategic resources, um, as we kind of saw and alluded to earlier with Russia and the United Kingdom, is more so rather on the, the monopolization on the establishing and the controlling of logistics, being able to determine the flow of the movement of goods and services of people and information, um, as well as intangible assets, um, being able to monopolize the and dictate the way of interconnectivity in the region. And Afghanistan is a very important part in that notions for the future of Central Asia, at least the southern parts of, of uh, Eurasia. Afghanistan sits at the middle of South, of South Asia, Central Asia, uh, the Far East, the Asian Far East, and the Middle East. It's, it's, it's a very, very, very important part of the world. And so it's important to then evaluate the, the continual trends of terrorism in Afghanistan and how that is disrupting uh, economic development, socioeconomic mobilization, uh, political institution developments, and furthering interconnectivity and globalization in this lucrative part of the world. Uh, with that, the main hindrance, living physical hindrance to that is the Taliban. And because we're going to talk about the Taliban tomorrow, I'm going to leave it at that so that we can then have somewhere to to pick up on. With that being said, my name is Samaj McDowell, and I'm glad to have you join me on this wonderful all bite long this is longer than i expected jeez 34 minutes um podcast episode on afghanistan have a great night